Thank you for joining us for today's message. We're always encouraged to know how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email to amen at imtheexchange.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at imtheexchange.com. Doing this will help us to bless others and bring messages to you each week. Today's message is from our executive pastor, Pastor Kevin Kelts. Please take a moment and prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. 13 Folds. Each fold, a reminder of a life spent in service. Service to country, service to people, protecting God-given rights, preserving freedoms. 13 Folds. At each fold, we remember the friends and family left behind, the mothers and fathers, sisters and brothers, sons and daughters left to pick up the pieces. Thirteen folds. And we remember the scriptures. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Each one loved greatly. We also remember that blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And today we pray, God be near those who need comfort. So, draw close to those who mourn. Make your presence and appreciation known. Let this church be a safe place, a comforting place. And let us honor those who have given their lives in service to this country. Thirteen folds to signify a life given to service. Amen. Amen. This this Memorial Weekend Day weekend, let's always remember to honor those who have given their lives in the pursuit of freedom for our country. Um, I know that that has touched all of our of our families. That we are all proud Americans and. And so I would just remind each one of us to to think uh, about those that have have gone on before us, and and uh, just just take some time to say a prayer for somebody that you know maybe who has lost a loved one, um, fighting for our country, and and that's always something that you know maybe is lost. And and this time, as we as you know, there'll be a lot of cook-offs tomorrow, and and things like that. So, in fact, let's just go ahead and pray right now, Father. We we do lift up um, all the families right now to you that have lost loved ones who have just selflessly given their lives, have gone and paid the ultimate price for freedom, Lord God. Just We just pray that there would just be a comfort there, comfort those with a peace that, that passes all understanding, Lord God. We thank you that when we don't know what to do, when we don't know how to give love and how to give peace, that you are God and you do. And so we just ask that you go above what we don't know what to do. And, and we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. 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 I ask this morning, if you would, um, 
get out your Bibles, uh, get out something to take notes. Um, also, get out your phones, and uh, you can check in this morning on Facebook. Remember to get on Facebook and, and check in. Uh, we're going to continue a series that I started last week called Matthew 24. Everybody say Matthew 24. All right, say a little bit louder. Matthew 24. Now, uh, raise your hand if you were here last week and you, you heard the first part of Matthew 24. Okay, if you weren't, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to catch you up a little bit. Um, for eight weeks before this, we were in a series called Irresistible. And it was a series talking about um, the, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And, and so we live now in a, in a new covenant. And, and Pastor Jared preached a message that was one of the best sermons that I've ever heard. And in this message, he, it was just really neat how he, he just got us into the story of trying to explain the Old Covenant and the New Covenant and the passing of the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. And there's something that we all need to understand, something that happened in history after Jesus and, and so he came up a way to, to get us to jump into the story with him. And he, he said, let's all get into this, this time machine and go back to 82 AD. And so we all did that. And he says, we're going back to Rome. And back in, in Rome in 82 AD, there was an emperor, and his name was Domitian. Everybody say Domitian. Go look in the history books, and you'll see that this is true. And so Domitian is the emperor. Um, he had a brother. His name was Titus. Titus was also an emperor before him. They had a dad whose name was Vespasian. Vespasian was the emperor before them, and the emperor of Rome before them was a guy that you all know as Nero. But when we go back to 82 AD, Domitian, he is the emperor and, and so he was talking about we get to talk to him, and it was just an awesome story. And the reason that he, he was talking about Domitian is because we'll put up a picture here. There is something that Domitian created and he had made, and you can still go see this today. Um, this is something that lots of people will take a, a trip and, 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 and go see on their vacation. This is uh, something that Domitian had. And, and what it is, it was made to commemorate was this battle that took place in this war that happened between the Roman Empire and Jerusalem. And so there was this Jewish rebellion that took place around 70 AD, and, and Domitian's brother Titus went in and he completely destroyed Jerusalem. He completely sacked it. He destroyed the temple. And so go two more slides uh, further, and you can see what Domitian had carved into this arch of Titus that you can still see today is after they killed 1.1 million Jews, they started to steal all this stuff. They destroyed the temple. They, they took it down brick by brick. They burnt everything, and they started to steal. You can see the, the, the candlesticks. You can see the, the Ark of the Covenant. They, they stole this out, and this was something that 
that uh, the emperor Domitian had made so that everybody could see how amazing that Rome was. As they walked to the Colosseum, they'd be able to walk through and see that we're, the, we're on top of the world, we're amazing, we're awesome, this is what my brother Titus did, and so that is there. Now, now I, I, I show that, and I want to start that off here, because this is something that, as Christians, that we all need to understand. It's an important thing in history, because this is something that when you go in the Bible and you look, I I'm not going to put this up on the screen, I'm just trying to catch everybody up from last week. The Apostle Paul writes in Hebrews chapter 8, speaking of the new covenant, he says that in the new covenant, in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13, he said that the new covenant has made the first, speaking of the old covenant, the covenant that God made with Moses, he made that, it made the first obsolete, now what is becoming obsolete is growing old and ready to vanish away. So after the cross, what Paul says is that basically the new covenant established at the cross made the old one obsolete. It made it invalid. Everybody say invalid. And so last week I got my daughters up here and I showed you how what happened is there, there was a new covenant that started at the cross, right? But the old covenant, it was going, and the power of the old covenant stopped right here at the same time that the new covenant started, but there was still momentum that carried on. This is 30 AD. That carried on for 40 years, although it was invalid and it didn't pertain to anybody. There were still Jews who didn't believe that. They didn't believe in a Messiah. They didn't believe that Jesus was a Messiah. They still went to the temple. They still believed in a priesthood system. They still continued to, br to bring sacrifices, pronounce their sins into a, 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 a lamb and, and do that. And until what happened in 70 AD is this thing was completely destroyed by Titus and this unbelievable power of the Roman army. They, they come in in 70 AD and they completely destroy this. Okay, so everybody understand that's history. That actually happened, right? And so when that happened, what, what Paul says is that in that, that happening, it made that Old covenant, it made it obsolete, and the old is now being coming, it's being ready to become vanished away. And so, just trying to catch everybody up a little bit, we started talking about then, and Matthew, we're trying to get to Matthew 24, and so we looked in Matthew 21. To get to Matthew 24, you have to look in Matthew 21. We looked in Matthew 21, Jesus starts telling these parables, and so he's in the temple. Everybody say the temple. Where's the temple? It's in Jerusalem. And he's speaking to these teachers of the law. He's, he's talking to the, the uh, Pharisees. And, and the Pharisees, they're all Jews. So none of these are, are people like us. They're not any of these people that are Gentiles. He's speaking to these people that don't believe in him as the Messiah. And he's, he starts telling them stories. And, and at the end of the story, um, he he. The, the Bible says, you know, you can look in Matthew chapter 24, verse 45. After the end of the story, they, it says that they knew that he was talking about them. And in, it continues, he tells them another story. And Jesus is telling them in this story that God sent 
these messengers to them, these prophets to them, and they rejected. And then he sent the son to them, and then they killed him. And it says, what do you think that, that, that the, the father is, or the, that this guy is going to do to those people? And they answer the question. They say, he is going to, I'll, I'll, I'll read what they, what they said. They said, what, let, me, let me look it up right quick. He will bring those wretches to a wretched end. That's what's going to happen. They said there's destruction that's going to come on those people. And, they said, and he's like, that's right. That's what's going to happen. There's a destruction that's going to come in. And, and then you get to, before we get to Matthew chapter 24, chapter 23, he starts saying, woe to you guys. Woe. I'm, he, he, it's just woe after woe, you snakes, you brutal vipers. And in verse 36... Of chapter 23, he says this, truly I tell you, he says, these things that I have in this whole conversation that I've just had for a couple chapters, he says, these things that I'm telling you that's going to happen, it's going to happen in this generation. Everybody say, this generation. All right? So he puts a, a time on this, a timetable. It's going to happen on this generation, okay? So now we're, we're all caught up, and we're going to get to Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew chapter 24, I'll go ahead and put it up on the screen for you, and we'll read it. He's just had this conversation with these people. He's leaving the temple, the Bible says. Jesus left the temple, was walking away when the disciples came up to him to call his attention to the, temp the buildings. So just imagine in your mind what happened. He just kind of told off all of these high priests, these Pharisees, He's walking out of this great, beautiful, unbelievably beautiful temple. These disciples call his attention back to the temple. In verse 2 it says, Do you see all these things? Jesus asked. Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. This is the start. Of the prophecy that literally it, it happened just like I, I showed you earlier. Uh, you saw the, the arch of Titus. This, this literally happened. So in verse 3, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and they said, tell us. They said, when will this happen? When will what happen? All of these things, all of the things that you just said. All of the conversations that you just had with all of those guys when you were talking about this judgment that is going to come upon this group of people, not upon the whole world, but upon these, this group of people that God came to and he sent all of these messengers to. He sent all of these prophets to. They rejected. He, he sent his son to. They rejected. And, and, and then now you're saying there's a judgment that's going to come on them. Why is there a judgment? We talked a little bit about this last week. Why is there a judgment going to come on them? The reason is to finally put an end to the old covenant. And we'll talk about that in just a second. It's right next. Okay? So, tell us, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So we talked about this a little bit last week. Everybody say age. If you read in this passage in the King James Version, or the New King James Version, 
I, I, I'm going to shock some people because some people were, were raised believing that the King James Version is the only version of the Bible. And it is the perfect version of the Bible. And what I'm going to shock you a little bit right here is that this scripture is mistranslated in the King James Version of the Bible. And I'm going to show you how. And I told you I'm going to bring some, some, some cool little clips to show you how. So go ahead and show the next, the next. Okay, so this is how. Remember I brought last week that big, thick book, and I was like, this is something that you need to, how to learn, used to have to learn how to look into and know how to. Now it's not like that anymore. We live in the age of information. Everything's at the click of a button. All you have to do is go to this webpage, and it's called BibleHub.com. So just write that down. It's actually an app now, BibleHub.com. That's what it looks like when you first get there, okay? Go to the next one. When you get there, you just type in that top bar the, the passage that you want to go to. Matthew chapter 24, verse 3. And it's going to give you over 20 different versions, translations of that one. Because there's tons of different translations. Now listen, each translation of the Bible has its own advantage to it. Okay? Right here, what we're looking at, we have the New International Version. We have the New Living Translation. We have the English Standard Version. We have the Berean Study Bible. Um, later on this year, I'd like to sit down and just do a little teaching on what is good about each translation and why you would like to read a certain translation. What are the, the advantages to some of them? What are the disadvantages to some of them? Okay? So, but here, you, 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 you can go and it'll have like 24 different ones that you can look at. Okay? But to get to what we're looking at today, we want to get to the original Greek we're not, because everybody understands that this wasn't written in English, right? This was written in Greek. So all you have to do is up at the top in that blue bar, right above it, you can see it says parallel, sermons, topical, strongs, comment, interlinearity, Greek, lexicon, or multi. Just click on the Greek or lexicon. So we're going to click on the lexicon. So go ahead and go to the next one. We click on that, and now it breaks down this where you can actually see the each word, word by word, broken down, where it will say the English word, and it will show the Greek, the actual word, and then it will show what that Greek word, without ever being in any sentence, what that Greek word just means by itself, okay, before it's ever in any sentence at all. And so, go to the next one. When we get down to the word that we're looking for, that I'm saying that's mistranslated, it's the word aeonos. And what does it say that the word aeonos means? Does it say that the word aeonos means world? The Greek word for world is cosmos. You've probably heard that word before. The cosmos. So, when the disciples were speaking, they were speaking in Greek, or they weren't speaking in Greek, but it was recorded in Greek. When they were speaking to Jesus, okay, what was said, it wasn't, and what will be the sign of your coming, and they didn't say, and of the end of the world, they said to Jesus, 
and of the end of the aeonos, which is what? The end of, the, of a space of time and of age. That's a completely different thing. But for years, people were taught, this is, they were asking the end of the world. The end of the world. And so I remember being a teenager and being read this passage of Scripture and saying, oh, here it is. This is going to be what comes after this, kids. In my, my youth group, they've said, what comes after this is going to be the signs of the end of the world. And then I was like, oh, and they would say, and so as you can see, all of these things are happening right now. We're living in the end of the world. And the, the song that we just sang, and Jennifer Bonilla just completely sang so wonderfully, what did she say? That Jesus, Jesus, he does what to fear? He silences fear. But in my youth group, Jesus, Jesus, he brings you a lot of fear. So much fear. So, so much fear, more fear. That's how it was. And, and it was because this was mistranslated to me. Are you seeing this right here? So the, uh, it's, it's not craziness that we're showing to you when we say that that word is mistranslated. And you don't need to throw out the King James Version. It's an awesome translation of the Bible. I'm just showing you right here, this says the end of the age. What does the age mean there? Everybody say age. When they say the end of the age, what type of age, what type of space of time are they asking? Well, it just makes, when you're reading this in context, the age that they're asking about, because Jesus has been talking about an age that is coming to an end the whole time, the age there is, that is coming to an end is the mosaic covenant that's coming to an end that will come to an end that Jesus, this whole prophecy that Jesus is talking about, he's saying it's going to happen within a generation. That generation is 40 years. It literally happened in 40 years at 70 AD. They are asking, when are you coming? What will be the sign of your coming and at the end of the old covenant age? Where I know it it lost its power right here, but when does it completely be destroyed and it completely runs out? That is the, per, the proper translation of that scripture. Everybody see that? So let's continue. Jesus answers that question. And he says, watch out, verse 4, that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. But I was taught this is in my future. They were saying, and so they told me, this is in your future, son, so watch out. There's going to be lots of people coming in the future saying, I'm the Messiah and will deceive many. But I want you to flip the script in your mind and think no. Think no that Jesus is literally answering their question, and he's telling them that this is literally going to happen in the next 40 years, which is in our past. Okay? So think like that for just a second. Humor me. He says, they're going to come, and they're going to come in my name saying, I'm the Messiah. They'll deceive many. You'll hear in the next 40 years, Jesus is saying, of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end, the end of what? The end of this covenant 
is coming to an end. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All things are, are the beginning of birth pains. Guys, I grew up hearing all my life. It's the beginning of birth pains. There would be an earthquake in some place on the news. And the pastor would get up and say, see, it's the, it's the end. And I told you a little bit. I was like, Pastor, you said that in 88 when we were guaranteed that it was the end. That was it. He's coming in 88. And we got 88 reasons he's coming in 88. And this is the guaranteed the last days. And now it's 2019. Maybe, maybe, maybe they were misinterpreting that scripture. Maybe. Okay. So, in context, it's not talking about something that happened in the future. Jesus said these things will happen in their generation, which is in our past. So, let's see, were these, did these things happen? Let's stop and look. It, were, were there earthquakes? Were these things going on? So, were there earthquakes? Well, in the book of Acts, do we see earthquakes? Yes, we see earthquakes. There was an earthquake when Jesus died on the cross. That's after what Jesus said, right? Jesus prophesied this. Has he died yet? No. There was a, there was a, when Jesus dies on the cross, boom, earthquake. Sun goes dark for three hours from noon to three in the afternoon. It's pitch black. According to Luke chapter 23, it's recorded. So we have darkness and we have an earthquake. Jesus is put in the grave. Three days later, guess what? Another earthquake and then he comes back to life everybody's knocked to the ground the stones rolled away there's an earthquake then you have the day of pentecost and then a couple days later you have in acts chapter 4 they gather together they're praying and it says the whole building is shaken you get a little further in the book of acts paul and silas are in the bottom of the prison the prison is shaken and what is recorded again in the book of acts another earthquake wow wow have you ever thought about that before actually historians have recorded that there was an incredible amount of earthquakes between 30 a.d and 70 a.d one of the historians would be a guy named seneca who was an advisor to nero and this is what he wrote he says it was as if the entire world was shaken for our generation that's what he said in that time period. It was just constant earthquakes that were going on. So this happened according to what Jesus, after what Jesus prophesied. So was there earthquakes? Yes. But was there famines? Actually, there was. It's actually recorded in, the, in Acts. Agabus receives an offering to send to a brother in another city. Why? Because there was famines. There was tremendous famines going on in the book of Acts and, and, and recorded in the history in that 40-year winter. Do you have wars and rumors of wars? Now, this is a hard one. This is a hard one to say, okay, because since then, in the last 2,000 years, to say, well, that's something that you can put your finger on and say, okay, that's a hard one to look at because there's always been wars. All right. But... Here's the kicker. The Roman Empire was at its peak. Go look in your history books and you'll find out when 
Rome had conquered everything at that moment. And in this time in history, when Jesus prophet makes this prophecy, it's called the Pax Romana. You know what that means? It means the Roman peace. There were no wars in that area going on at that time. And so when Jesus prophesies there will be wars and rumors of wars when there are no wars going on, and then guess what happens? Wars and rumors of wars, it's a sign that this thing is, because listen, and get this, don't think about this was written to you, think about it was for those who heard it, and Jesus dies, remember I told you last week, it was not in their mind him ever coming back to the, leaving the earth and coming back, they weren't even thinking about that. That's not what they were asking him. They were saying, when are you coming? When are all this, the sign of all of this stuff happening? You coming in judgment on apostate Israel. When is that going to happen? That's what they were asking, right? And so when all of a sudden Jesus then dies, they're sad. Then he raises again. They're happy. He's with them for a couple of days. Then he leaves. They're sad again, right? And then all of a sudden, the things that he said start happening. All of a sudden, they start waking up going, holy cow, there's a bunch of earthquakes going on. Oh, my gosh, the things that he told us that are happening are happening. We need to get ready. We need to be prepared. Do you see what? It was amazing to them. It was amazing. So um, the next thing is false messiahs. This is, this is, this is um, it's different for us. Because we live so far away from when the, the time that Jesus rose from the grave. But when Jesus said this, then he died and then he rose from the grave. They lived in that day. And so it was a time when somebody could say, hey, I'm Jesus. Now, you know, if somebody taps you on the street at Kroger, you know, in the line at Kroger and is like, I'm Jesus, I've come back. You're like, okay, you know, crazy. You know, we got a nice padded room for you. Follow me. I'll, I'll get you where you need to go, right? It was way easier back then because Jesus had just been walking around going, hey, it's me. I'm back. And, and there's a book. I'll, I'll, go ahead and write this down. Uh, there's a book that I want you to go check out. And the name of the book is, let's see here, I just had it and I just lost it, The Destruction of Jerusalem by George Peter Halford, and listen to this, I'm just going to read just a little insert, he says, within one year after our Lord's ascension, Docetheus, the Samaritan, arose, who had the boldness to assert that he was the Messiah of whom Moses prophesied, while his disciple Simon Magnus deluded multitudes into the belief that he himself was the great power of God. About three years afterwards, another Samaritan imposter appeared and declared that he would show the people the sacred utensils said to have been deposited by Moses in Mount Gerizim. Induced by an idea that the, Messiah of, uh, that the Messiah, their great deliverer, had now come, the armed multitude assembled under him by Pilate speedily defeated them and killed their chief. While Cypheus Fadus was 
their curator in Judea, another deceiver rose whose name was Thaddeus. And this says right here that 30,000 people rose up and followed him thinking that he was Jesus. So was there false messiahs that rose up in that time period? Yes. These things, guys, were going on. These things took place. And then in verse 9, it says, Jesus says this, Then, after these things happen, you will be handed over and persecuted and put to death. You will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away. Because of the persecutions that were happening, Jesus says, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and will hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of the wickedness, the love will grow cold. But, listen, the one who stands firm to the end, the end of what? The end of the age that happened in 70 AD will be saved. But that's not how I was taught. I was taught the one who stands firm to the end of the world so let's just, let's just talk about that for a second. If that's what Jesus was literally, so who is Jesus saying this to? He's saying this to those people in that day. And if he's talking about the end, the end of the world, he's telling them, because right now it's 2019 and we're still on the world. It hasn't, the end of the world hasn't happened yet. So he would have had been telling them, you need to live for 2019 years. You need to stand firm and live for at least 2019 years because it hasn't happened yet. And if you do, you will be saved. You will. I was taught that that word saved right there means you will receive salvation. You will receive eternal life in Jesus, in heaven forever. Is is anybody else taught taught that? Received that that, that's what that word saved meant? It's not what it means in this scripture, I'm talking about in this scripture, what does it mean now when you're reading it in context? Those who endure to the end, the end of what? The end of the age, talking about what? 70 AD, that did happen. Because listen, we're going to get to this in just a second. He's going to tell them what's going to happen to them, and he's going to warn them that when the armies start to come in, you're going to see them coming. He says, run. When you see them coming into Jerusalem, he says, run. Guess what? The ones that ran were saved. Mortality. They lived. They were not part of the 1.1 million that were slaughtered. Is this making sense to anybody else? Are, are light bulbs starting to go off a little bit? Okay, so let me, let me, let me just uh, show you uh, verse 14. This is a doozy right here. Everybody say doozy. This was taught to me too. Verse 14, and Jesus says, this gospel, so this is what he says as all of the, this prophecy, this gospel of the kingdom Thank God for the gospel of the kingdom. That's my whole life. That's what I'm all about. He says, we'll be preached in the whole world. Everybody say the whole world. That's what we're about to talk about. In the whole world as a testimony to all nations and the end will come. Wow. 
So what about that, Pastor? I mean, what are you going to do with that? Because obviously, obviously, Jack, the whole world hasn't heard the gospel. Right? Obviously, there's people. There's people in far off. I mean, I know we live in the world of technology, the age of information. But there's people in far reaches that have not heard yet. Because I was taught, if they had, this thing would be over. And we'd all, we'd just, it'd be done. Right? Maybe, just maybe. So, so you think that everything that I've showed you so far, and you're all going, yup, yup, yup. And you're like, oh, no, pastor's been wrong this whole time off of that one scripture. Hmm. Maybe, just maybe, that scripture, there's another misinterpretation there. Let's look at it. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world. Everybody say whole world. You can go and look on Bible Hub again. The word there for whole world, and this is an awesome word. I love this word. It's ukimene. Everybody say ukimene. Come on, say it again, ukimene. I'll put it up on the screen for you. What does ukimene mean? It means the inhabited earth. What's he talking about right here? He's talking about the localized culture. That's the proper translation. Uh, and just to prove my point, let me put another scripture that has the same exact word. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Same exact word. Now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Everybody remembers this because this is the story of Jesus' birth, right? That a census should be taken of all of the inhabited Ukimene. So you're, so if we're going to argue about this, you're telling me that Caesar took a census, according to the Bible, and the Bible is just true, he took a he went and took a census of the entire planet Earth. How did he do that? Because that's a misinterpretation. And in fact, if you look it up in, in that, this scripture, Luke 2 verse 1, it will be translated correctly in your Bible, but Ukimene will be mistranslated in Matthew chapter 24. To say the whole earth. What is saying there is the localized culture. What they knew as the localized culture would be reached with the gospel. Did that happen in the first century? Did they preach to the entire civilized world in their time? Well, according to the Apostle Paul, which is a pretty good person to put everything in on, he says yes. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul writes this. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. He goes on in verse 23 and says this, This is the gospel that you have heard that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Paul actually believed that what is said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, it happened in the first generation. Listen, and I will say this, 
if there hadn't been a persecution of Stephen, if you remember, Stephen was stoned for standing up and proclaiming the gospel. He was martyred. He was killed for proclaiming the gospel. If that hadn't happened, what had happened at that time is it had just been, the gospel had been localized in Jerusalem to the Jews. But once that happened and people started dying for it, immediately it spread like wildfire. And within 40 years, the localized culture had been completely reached. Amen. That's a great place to say amen. The ukimene, yes. Jesus begins to answer the second part of the question from verse 3. When will this happen? He answers it in verse, uh, well, he goes in the second question, what will be the sign of your, your coming, of this destruction, in verse 15? And this is where we're, we're going to... You're going to love this, okay? So when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation spoken through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Remember, Jesus is speaking to a certain group of people at a certain time. He says, let those who are in Judea flee the mountains. Let no one in the housetop come down and take anything out of the house. Let no one in the fields go back and get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for a pregnant woman and a nursing woman, mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in the winter of the Sabbath, for then there will be great distress, unequal from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. So what will be the sign of your coming? And what does he say? In the holy place, you will see. What's the holy place he's speaking of? In Jerusalem, it's the temple that he said it's coming down, right? He says there's going to be some people standing in the temple and from their vantage point, they are going to see the abomination that causes desolation. Put that up there. The abomination that causes desolation. I have heard preachers say for years this the wrong way. They call it the abomination of desolation. That sounds like a professional wrestler to me. That's not like over in this corner, we have Macho Man Randy Savage. And over in this corner, we have the abomination of desolation. That's not it. It's There is an abomination that's going to cause desolation. What is that abomination that causes desolation? Well, when you study scripture, and I'm teaching you guys some stuff today, you'll find out that there's really cool things about the four gospels. Three of them are what we call the synoptic gospels. What that means is they parallel each other. It means three of them were in the same place at the same time recording this same conversation. And that is awesome. So where you see Matthew recording Matthew 24, Luke recorded it in Matthew 21. And so if we want to find out what the abomination that causes desolation, all you have to do is go to Luke chapter 21 and we'll find out. Watch this. Luke chapter 21, verse 20. This is the same conversation, just a different person hearing it and recording it. Okay? Everybody understand that, right? And he says this. When, so Luke recording Jesus. When you see Jerusalem... Everybody say Jerusalem. Being surrounded by armies. Everybody say armies. You'll know that it's, what's that word? Desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those get out of the city. Let those get out of the country, not enter the city. For this 
is the time of the punishment and the fulfillment of all those that have been written. How dreadful it will be those in the days of the pregnant women and the nursing mothers. See, it's the same. He's saying the same thing. There will be the great distress in the lands against the people. They will fall by the sword and be taken prisoners of all nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Who will be trampled on by the Gentiles? Jerusalem will be. Right here, this is not up to interpretation. Right here, we see who is the abomination that causes the desolation. It's the armies. He says it. Right? Verse 20. You will see being Jerusalem being surrounded by the armies. He's speaking of what actually took place that we see carved into the arch of Titus. The Roman armies. He says, you're going to see them surrounding this abomination that's going to cause desolation. You're going to see the Roman armies. And when you see it, what does he say? He says, run. He says, flee. How do I know this is not in our future? How do I know this wasn't written to you and me? He, what does he say in Luke 21, 21? He says, let those who are in Judea. Are you in Judea? Judea. Anybody in Judea here? Did he say, let those in Houston? Okay, let's just take Judea out of this. He says, hey guys, when you see this happening, flee to the mountains. All right. You guys see any mountains? Any mountains? Anybody see any mountains? Are there any mountains anybody sees? Is this starting to make a little sense, guys? There's not any mountains. Let's go back to the parallel verse in Matthew 24, verse 15. He says, so when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation spoken through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand, let those who are in Judea, everybody say Judea, flee to the what? Mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down and take anything out of the house. I was taught this. I was taught fear that this was in my future when I was a kid, this freaked me out, and I didn't understand that last scripture. What the what? Let no one on the rooftop go down and get anything out of the house. Let me ask you guys a question. When was the last time any of you guys were on your rooftop? For most of you guys, the common answer is never. But historical contextual knowledge back in their day it made complete sense because in that culture in that day in Jerusalem they all had flat roofs and in the cool of the morning and in the cool of the evening they would lounge on their roof they could walk over to their neighbor's roof they would be sitting on the roof. One guy would be at the temple, Jesus says. One guy would be on his roof. And he says, when you see the abomination that causes desolation, what is that? It's the Roman army. He says, don't even run down and grab something out of your house. Run to the mountain as fast as you can. Their first instinct would be to run to the temple. That's why he said run to the mountain. 
They don't need to run to the mountain because the mountain gets complete. I mean, the don't need to run to the temple because the temple gets completely destroyed. He already told them that's going to get uh, taken down brick by brick. Are you seeing this? What's the next thing that he tells them? He says, no one go back to the field and get their cloak. Let me ask you guys. This is also spoken back in an agricultural system in a day. How many of you guys are going to be working in the farm tomorrow? Not many. Right? But a lot of them would have been. And he's saying, when you're in the farm and working, and you look up, and you see the abomination that's about to cause the desolation, run to the mountain. Don't do anything else, because if you do, you're going to die. And then he says this, how dreadful it will be in those days for a pregnant woman and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight does not take place in a winter or on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath? On the Sabbath? The Sabbath doesn't, this, this also doesn't really make much sense anymore. The Sabbath doesn't mean a lot to us. I mean, except for Chick-fil-A. That's kind of a bummer. Like, I'd like to get some nuggets right now, and I can't because of Dadgum Sabbath. Right? But to them, it made sense. Why did it make sense, Pastor Kevin? Well, if you go and look in Acts chapter 1, verse 12, you'll find out there's something that for them was called a Sabbath day walk. Everybody say Sabbath day walk. You see, there was, they still lived when Jesus said this in the Old Covenant. There were still laws. They lived under a law that said you could only do a Sabbath day walk. You could not walk more than three quarters of a mile on the Sabbath. And he says, pray that it's not on the Sabbath. Because if you're on your roof and you see this thing goes down and you say, Jack, I'm running to the mountain and you start running. What's going to happen is one of these people of the law is going to see you. You're going to be going further than what you're allowed to go, and they will arrest you. He's saying, pray that it doesn't happen. Is it making sense now? It, this wasn't written to you. He doesn't say this to you. But those people that he was speaking to were going, man, this makes sense. And then when it happened, those who believed in Jesus we're saved. I'm not talking about eternal salvation. I'm talking about they weren't a part of the 1.1 million. Guys, let, let, me, let me just say this in closing. This one breaks my heart. How dreadful will it be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers As a minister for almost 15 years now, I'm 40 years old. I've been in the church my whole life. And the fear that we pastors, through misinterpreting this passage of Scripture, have brought on people. You, you may not believe this, but I have seen depression and fear cause a miscarriage. And that's not Jesus.
I've, I've literally, listen, after, after speaking last week, I had four people come up to me after the service and say verbatim the same thing. Where has this been all my life? Guys, when I started to see this, I said the same thing. Because I have seen, can you imagine? Can you imagine? I remember my wife after she had Caitlin. And there's a depression that women go through. And then to go to church and have a, le- a, a person in leadership start to tell you how dreadful will it be in those days for pregnant women to, to watch Christian television and have a, a person misinterpret the Bible and tell them that, you know, we're living in the last days and all of a sudden they, they start to have this thought like, why in the world would I bring a child into this? We're living in the last days. There's, a, there's an abomination of desolation about to come. There, why, would I, why would I do this? Why would I bring a child into the end of the world, into turmoil, into destruction? That's why it's so important to get this stuff right. Because this has a practical impact on people now. It impacts people. It impacts the world. People are living in fear for no reason. When Jesus said these things, he was not talking to you. You are not in Judea. You do not need to run to the mountains. Come on. You do not have to be in fear of the Sabbath. You do not have to be afraid of being pregnant. My wife and I have four kids, and we are doing great. Come on, man. We have an awesome future. Guys, this is right now is not the end of the world. We're not living in the end of the world. In fact, I'm going to say something that might blow your mind, but there is no end of the world described in the Bible. As Gomer Powell would say, surprise, surprise, surprise. Some of y'all young people may not understand that. But I'm telling you, it's just the opposite Maybe contrary to what you've been told, but Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21, I'll put it up on the sky Bible for you. It says this, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Please hear me today. God intends the church to glorify him throughout the ages of an unending world. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Guys, if there was an end to the world, how would his government and peace continue to increase? You see, the kingdom came when Jesus when Jesus came to this earth, and it was established in the lifetime of his generation. And since then, generation by generation, it has continued to increase. Come on, somebody. And we now are increasing his kingdom day 
by day, and it will never end. And my kids are going to be a part of it, and my kids' kids are going to be a part of it. Psalms chapter 78, verse 69 says this, And he built his sanctuary like the heights, like the earth which he has established forever. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 4, one generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. When God speaks of the physical realm of the heavens and the earth, he says that they are decreed to be established forever. God did not create this world to destroy it. Do you remember what God said in Genesis chapter 8 after the great flood? I'll remind you. Chapter 8, verse 21, And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma, and then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil in his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. God promised to never destroy every living thing again. Therefore, a worldwide destruction of the earth It ain't going to happen. God's plan is to redeem the world, not destroy it. Listen, there's so much more I want to share with you about Matthew 24. And we'll continue and we'll talk more about it. And it's, there's so much more to it, um, when you read it, there's something that should jump in your heart. It shouldn't be fear. Uh, I, I will tell you this. There are some people because of their belief system that they try to redate when the book was authored. Do you know why? Is it because they don't believe in the supernatural? And so they see that this prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem by Jesus is so perfect They see that it is so spot on that it must have been written after it happened in 80 AD or 90 AD. And so they they argue and they say, no, 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 no. It must have been written maybe even by another author after it was happened. And then they said, that's what Jesus said even though he didn't say it. Are you seeing this? That's how you should go, holy moly, this is how amazing my Savior is. When I read this, it doesn't bring me fear. This is like, wow. Jesus knocked it all apart. Last thing I want to say is this. I know you have lots of questions. (laughs) There has to be lots of questions. I know when I started to unpack all of this for myself, because you've heard in me preaching this, that this is not what I was taught growing up. I had lots of questions. If you have questions, get with me. Uh, Call me. Send me emails. Text me. See me after the service. Um, I I, I would love to talk to you, okay? Uh, One of the questions that we've already gotten is, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. I caught something. So you're saying that, because, Pastor, I was taught like you, 
that they asked him, what will be the sign of your coming? And I was always taught that that was the second coming of Christ. And so you're saying, and, and now I kind of agree with you that that's not talking about the second coming of Christ. That's literally talking about him coming and the end of the age because it all, it all makes sense. So do you not believe in a second return? What's up with that? And the answer to that question is, we absolutely do believe that Jesus is coming back to this earth. Now, here's the thing. Most of what you see when it's talking about Jesus coming in the New Testament, it is talking about the destruction of 70 AD, the end of an age. But let me just, I'll just share with you very quickly Acts chapter 1, verse 9. Put it up on the screen screen for you. This is speaking of Jesus' future return, his physical return to the earth. After he said this, he was taken before the very eyes in a cloud. Hid him from their sight. Verse 10, they were looking intently up in the sky as he was going, and suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus has been taken from you to heaven. They said, he will come back in the same way that you've seen him go to heaven. We do believe that Jesus is coming back. Amen? Uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sin of many. And he will appear a second time. There it is. Not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. We do believe that he's coming back to this earth. Amen? Titus chapter 2, verse 13. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, the appearing, we do believe in the, in the return of our Savior. Amen? So, yes, he's going to return in our future. But I don't believe it's going to be anytime soon. Because we got a lot of work to do. And guess what? That's not bad. That's a good thing. Because it's not getting worse. It's getting better. Listen, he's coming back for a glorious church. He's coming back for an awesome, marvelous church. God has a, a plan to redeem this earth, and we are a part of that amazing plan. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your, your amazing love, for your amazing grace for your your word that you speak to us and you transform us. We thank you that Jesus, you don't bring us fear, but Lord, you bring us peace. You bring us not confusion, but a sound mind. And that's what we declare this morning, Father, as, as we continue in our lives and this mission that we have, to redeem this world, this entire world. We'll be careful, Lord, to put you first. And we declare this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Amen.